you know, I'm a, I, I'm a, as a speaker, I read my audience, right? I'm an experienced CEO. I've made lots of presentations, lots of people. And I'm presenting this sales learning curve. It's very interesting. And afterwards, people come over and say, that was amazing. This was a snap into all my experience. This resonate. this like puts a framework around the things I experience and lets me think about it in a new way. This comment from Mark Leslie alludes to a vital lesson of greatness. Mastering the sales learning curve is key for achieving product market fit, especially in B2B startups. Let's talk about why. Welcome to Starting Greatness, a podcast dedicated to ambitious founders who want to go from nothing to awesome super fast. When you're a startup founder, you have to channel your inner James Bond, your MacGyver, your Wonder Woman. I'm going to help you win by curating the lessons of the super performers, but before they were successful. So without further ado, ignition sequence start. Let's get started. The sales learning curve is one of the very best heuristics I've encountered for assessing product market fit, and it's a great contribution from Mark Leslie to the world of startups. Why is the sales learning curve such a big deal? How does it hold an important key to knowing when you have product market fit? Well, it turns out that when a startup launches a new product, the temptation is to immediately ramp up the number of salespeople to acquire new customers as quickly as possible. Startups do this for reasons that make sense on the surface. They feel pressure to grow fast. They feel pressure to generate revenue, to cover their expenses and make it easier to raise the next round of funding. But what Mark Leslie shows us is that with startups and new product introductions, hiring the full sales force too fast usually leads to a vicious cycle. Too often the startup burns cash too quickly while failing to meet revenue expectations. So why is this? Well, Mark's epiphany was that every startup has a sales learning curve. Before a startup can sell its product efficiently, the entire organization, not just sales, needs to learn how customers will acquire and use it. It's important not to confuse the entire startup sales learning curve with a salesperson's individual learning curve. Most startups expect sales reps to go from new employees to fully productive salespeople during their first few months on the job as they learn more about the product, the customers, the market, and the competition. But the sales learning curve that Mark Leslie describes is separate from and independent of all the individual learning curves of sales reps. And it's more comprehensive because it involves all customer-facing parts of the organization, including marketing, sales, product support, and product development. Every business goes through a unique learning process, and each industry, company, and product have different drivers. At the outset, the product's features might need adjusting, or some things might not work exactly the way they should. To traverse the learning curve, product development, marketing, and sales must resolve a bunch of complicated and interrelated questions. The product team needs to correctly determine which features would make the product valuable to customers. They need to make it easy to use, reliable, and efficient to support. Marketing needs to correctly analyze the product's position relative to the competition. They need to segment the market. They need to develop messaging and marketing programs and to help generate leads. The sales team needs to determine distribution channels, develop a sales model, work up a sales pitch. As you look at the length of this list, it becomes quickly obvious to you that launching a new product involves far more than ramping up a sales force. And gaining that knowledge also doesn't happen all at once. And it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It develops gradually. The company makes early assumptions. Those assumptions are modified iteratively as feedback comes from early customers. 
The enhanced offering reaches even more customers whose further feedback hones the product, the message, and the sales efforts even further still, accelerating the company's progress along the learning curve. This process cannot be short-circuited by sending out an army of salespeople to gather more feedback more quickly. Many problems are discovered and solved sequentially. They are path-dependent and reveal themselves only after some preceding issue has been discovered and resolved. Eventually, the company learns enough to reach a rhythmic level of steady sales. So how do you turn the sales learning curve into something that helps you win? Mark Leslie suggests the sales learning process unfolds in three distinct phases. The initiation phase, the transition phase, and the execution phase. In the initiation phase, you focus on reaching sales rep break-even. In the transition phase, you focus on reaching traction. In the execution phase, your sales reps become productive enough to absorb all other expenses in the business so the company can make a profit. Let's break these down. In phase one, the initiation phase, you want renaissance salespeople. This phase begins when the product is ready to hit the market. It lasts until the sales rep break-even point, which is when your revenue per sales rep, also referred to as sales yield, equals the fully loaded cost per sales rep. It's a bad idea to assign large quotas in the initiation phase. The reason is that revenue at this phase is a mechanism for something specific, for getting validated learning about customers first and foremost, not just revenue for its own sake. Members of the sales team need to learn as much as they can about how customers will use the product so that they can support engineering, product marketing, and marketing communications in dialing in the product capabilities and go-to-market strategy and programs. A heavily commissioned pay plan with high target quotas will usually hinder learning about these vital elements of success. This will cost your startup precious time and money. It's also a bad idea to hire too many sales reps in this phase. A smaller sales team keeps costs down and is more effective in making key learnings visible to other parts of the company. Typically, three or four salespeople should be enough. Earlier, I mentioned you want renaissance reps. That's because the skills needed during this phase are different. They include an ability and desire to communicate with lots of parts of the organization, a tolerance of ambiguity, deep interest in the product's technology advantages, and a talent for bringing customers together with various other teams in the company. These renaissance salespeople must be resourceful and often need to be able to develop their own sales models and collateral materials as needed on the fly. Earlier, I mentioned that you want to get to the point where each sales team member can generate enough revenue to pay for his or her fully burdened cost to the organization. You can probably see that if a sales rep cannot even cover his or her own individual costs with revenues, the organization has either recruited the wrong person or the entire startup still needs to learn a lot more about what it takes to successfully go to market with its product. It doesn't make sense to ramp sales expenses if every added salesperson compounds our losses ahead of our potential gains from learning in this phase. In phase two, the transitional phase, you want transitional salespeople. This phase lasts until the sales yield reaches a point that indicates the product has achieved real traction in the market. What defines traction varies from company to company and product to product. Mark Leslie suggests a useful rule of thumb which is a sales yield of twice the fully loaded cost per sales rep at the end of the transition phase. The people hired at this stage, which Mark calls enlightened or transitional reps, should be comfortable contributing to a still evolving sales model. 
but they do not need to have quite the same level of analytical and communication skills as the Renaissance reps from phase one. In phase three, which is the execution phase, you want execution-oriented salespeople and you want to keep improving your efficiencies until each sales rep can absorb all of the other expenses of the company such that it's profitable with each new sales hire. Once sales management is confident that the product has achieved traction and is entering the execution phase, sales reps can be hired as rapidly as the company's management and financial constraints allow. In this phase, the formula for success has been developed. All of the support requirements for sales reps are in place. Now the company needs more traditional salespeople who require a territory, a sales plan, a pricing model, and marketing materials to bring in the orders that get generated from the leads. I've been involved with many startups who ramped sales too quickly. They let their success in getting early customers convince them that they could ramp fast and in a repeatable way, but they got a false sense of security that they were closer to product market fit than they really were. I've seen companies like this achieve early signs of customer interest and success only to go off the rails when they ramp their expenses too quickly, usually on the heels of raising a big funding round where everyone was high-fiving each other and where everyone encouraged them to go as fast as possible. And after things go sideways with burn going up massively and revenue targets missed, I've seen those same companies blame the marketing lead or the sales lead and reshuffle those organizations again and again not realizing that the real reason sales weren't happening. They had a false belief that they had achieved product market fit. <laughs> this might sound familiar to some of you, or even bring back some old memories you'd rather forget. So then, back to the sales learning curve. If you want to achieve even your most ambitious growth goals, if you want to achieve strong product market fit, and know you've achieved it, the sales learning curve highlights what matters most to growing faster. Ultimately, you have to reduce the time it takes for your salespeople to reach their target yield in each phase. But to get there, you'll need to focus on compressing the ramp time in the sales learning curve, one phase at a time, rather than skipping steps in hopes of moving faster. When you think about it, it should make sense to you that the sales learning curve is one of the very best heuristics to track your startup's progress to product market fit. Startups lie to themselves about product market fit all the time. You'll want to believe you have it because it's the most important thing. You'll want to believe you've reached it so you can keep raising more money at better valuations. All the people around your startup will tend to encourage you to be overly optimistic about how close you are to achieving it. Others will pressure you to believe you are farther along than you really are. Understanding precisely where you stand in the sales learning curve is how you keep yourself honest. It's a way to transition from validated learning about customers to early traction, to efficient and ultimately profitable growth. And it's a way to do it where you can prove the progress objectively. It's a way to ensure that you don't lie to yourself. Because when it comes to progressing down the sales learning curve, the numbers rarely lie. Thanks for listening to this lesson of greatness. I appreciate you listening, and I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you like the show, I'd be grateful if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And until we catch up again, I hope you never let go of your inner power to do great things in whatever matters to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.